so today we're going to be talking about um, my t- the title of it is the food we had in Egypt. What we crave can actually kill us. All right. So the main point I want to talk about is the things we escape to in one season and life can actually become the very things we come, become enslaved to in the next season. So how many of you have ever seen like a movie or a sitcom where you have that girl in front of the TV, she just broke up with her boyfriend and she has got that tub of ice cream right in front of her, right, right in front of her. She's bawling her eyes out and she's just, ah! you know, she does that night after night after night. Uh, and how do you guys, how many of you guys know, like if you do that on a daily basis, there's kind of some consequences if you go to your comfort food. If that's the only thing you're eating, you're going to get big real quick or you're going to have some diabetes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So there's some consequences sometimes for just eating comfort food. Okay, so we're going to be talking about that. What are the things in life that we run to when we get that unexpected news or whenever that anxiety hits us? Where do we run to uh, when we have that unexpected breakup or that unexpected layoff or that unexpected bill that comes in the mail? You're like, man, God, I have no idea how I'm going to pay for this. We're going to be talking about that. And we're going to be talking about the Israelites. How many guys know those were God's chosen people uh, in the Old Testament? And guess what? They went through exactly what we're going through just over 2,000 years ago. And we can kind of relate to them. We'll talk about that. Let's go to Numbers 11, 4 through 6. All right, so it says, Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain, Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for, the, for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Okay, so let me give you a little history lesson about what's going on here. So the Israelites left Egypt and are now in a strange place called the wilderness. All right. And so they're in this wilderness and they're remembering their past. They're remembering all the the fish that they had. They remember the, the onions, the leeks, the variety of food they have. And they're thinking, man, the only thing we have right now is this manna. Okay, so um. It's been 430 years since they actually entered uh, Egypt. When they first entered Egypt for the first 30 years, guess what? They weren't slaves. They actually entered this land out of refuge because in their, their homeland, there was a huge famine. And so the only way that they could survive is to go to Egypt because they knew that's a big city. That's where food is. And so either we're going to sit here and die or we're going to go and get food in Egypt. So for the first 30 years, guess what? This was a safe haven that they found life. And uh, so you can kind of read about that um, in Genesis 41, 50, chapters 53 through 55. I don't really have a lot of time to go into it. Read it on your own. Uh, so that actually describes the seven-year famine that began just as Joseph was for, Joseph foretold in that dream. Uh, you guys remember the, you know, they, Joseph had the dream about the, the, the famine and, you know, kind of prepared Egypt for that famine. So the Israelites came to Egypt not out of slavery, but of survival. So they were going to either starve in Israel or find food in Egypt. So Genesis forty-one fifty-seven says, And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was so severe everywhere. So everyone was affected by this famine. 
So my next point is the feel of the famine. Genesis 41, 54, it says, And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was a famine in all the lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all of Egypt began to feel the famine. So I want you to kind of think about this. Um, Maybe there's an experience of personal famine in your life. Maybe it's uh, a famine of true love or intimacy uh, or encouragement by other people. Maybe it's a famine of wanting affection by somebody that could give a rat's butt about you, but you, for some reason you want that approval by that person, by that girl, by that boy, by that boss, and for some reason you're not getting it. Um, or maybe it's uh, a famine of desired financial or social status. You look at you know, Facebook, you look at social media, you're like, man, everybody has it all together financially. They're so happy and you're just like, man, I'm missing something. What am I missing? So my next statement is pretty powerful. God can use a famine to get us into a place or position of his purpose. Amen? Amen? So Deuteronomy 8.3 says, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry. Sometimes God lets us go hungry. And then feeding you with manna. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone, rather than rather we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? So God gets us to a place where nothing in this world can satisfy us anymore. So once we're in that place, then God can use that dissatisfaction in our lives to draw us closer to his heart, right? In a place where he and he alone can start personally feeding us the manna of his word and the manna of his presence. And that's where we, tr- we find true fulfillment, right? Um, so for God to move in our lives, sometimes he'll remove things or people from our lives so that we can start to feel that famine in our heart, okay? Um, that the Israelites felt as well. So sin meets a need. How many of you guys know that sin meets a need, right? In all of us. Uh, pastor says it's so good. He says, sin meets a legitimate, legitimate need that we have in an illegitimate way. So whatever addictions or whatever things that you go to, whether it be drugs, sex, sometimes it could be our tablet, our phone, TV, news, social media, food, pornography, whatever it is that we're going to, it meets a legitimate need that we have. There's a void in our lives. There's a famine in our lives that we somehow, we run to this thing to find that five minutes of pleasure and then it leaves us feeling disgusting, worse than we, than we, than we had when we, when we got it, okay? So it distracts you from the reality of what you truly need, which is Jesus's presence in your life. And so my next point is whatever we're craving in life, Jesus satisfies, Amen. Everything else is just smoke and mirrors. It's just a distraction from the the main need that we have, which is truly him in our lives that truly fulfills us. In Hebrews 12, one through two, it says, let us strip off everything, every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on who? Jesus our champion. When, when Josh was going through the worship and he was saying, Jesus, you're my champion. I was, I was thinking about this verse. He is our champion. And it says, who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, dis- discarding its shame. 
Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Let me say, the only way that we will have true, authentic change in our lives is not running to all these things. It's running to the arms of Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we'll find true change in our lives, period. Anything else is not even worth going to. It's wasting our time. So we're going to talk about why in the world would Israel want to go back to Egypt? We think about that. Like, Why would Israel want to go back into slavery? We're going to talk about that. So let's look at the Israelites through their perspective. Uh, for over 400 years, they had, it was familiar, okay? It was predictable. They had three, probably three meals a day, even though they were in shackles, even though they were being whipped every single day, they had fish, they had leeks, they had onions, they had all these melons, and they had a variety of food, okay? And so they, they had predictability, okay? It's every, some of it, it was the only life they've ever known. And so now they're free from the shackles, they're free from the, the beatings from the Egyptians, and now they're being personally guided by Jehovah, personally guided by God. They're completely free, they're out in the wilderness, but, and, and they're guided by a fire at night and a cloud by day. But guess what? There's nothing that's predictable. And so whenever you're free, guess what? Sometimes it can be unpredictable at times. They probably missed emotionally the places and the things that they, they grew up uh, living with. And some of them, like for 400 years, like they, they've been, I don't know if they've lived 400 years, but 400 years of living in one place, I mean, you're going to naturally miss the old things of, of, the, of their life. And so about a month ago, uh, I came in contact with this guy. He called here and he just got out of prison and he just said like, hey, I, I've, I was in prison for about 25 years and I just, I need some money. He was, he said, I, I've, I've given my life to Christ. I'm a new person. I'm not who I, I, I was 20 years ago. And he was a serious crime that he had committed. And him finding a place to stay was very difficult when he got out of prison. So he was just coming, to, he said, hey, if y'all could help me out, find a place to stay, that would be great. So I started, I was like, man, I've never dealt with this before. So I, I went around and, and called other places that may have uh, resources that I, that I can kind of pull from. And I came across this ministry called Pardon for Christ. And it's a ministry that actually helps out inmates, specifically men that have been incarcerated for half of their life and they're coming into society and they have no idea how to function as a human being. And so what, it, what they do is they find mentors in churches and they mentor them and show them the ropes of just writing a check, having a, having a checking account, how to brush your teeth. I mean, I don't know, like certain skills that they may have not been taught in prison and they, they teach them how to, how to live as citizens. And so I thought about this and I was like, man, you know what? This is exactly how the Israelites were. When they came out of being slaves, being in prison, they had no idea how to function as a human being because they were given everything. Even though they were slaves to, to, to the Egyptians, they had no idea how to function as a free person. And so we as humans, we all self-medicate when we're, in a lot of, when we're in a lot of pain, whatever that may be. And I'll kind of give a personal testimony. About 2006, uh, my dad had passed away about a year um, from, from then. And I was in the hospital for about a week because I had spinal meningitis. Uh, so thank God it wasn't the deadly kind that uh, there's either A or B and one of them actually takes your life. And so thank God I didn't, I'm here today. Um, but in the process of diagnosing me, they actually had to take this big old needle and shove it up my 
my back right here and my vertebrae to get out spinal fluid to just test me. And that hurt so bad. But also on top of that, I had the worst headache I've ever had in my entire life. Mom was there. She took me to the, to, uh, I was loopy. I was, I was just, I was so out of my mind in pain. And so I was in the hospital for about a week. And so when they uh, sent me home, they gave me this medication. I'm not going to say the medication, but you can kind of, you know, I don't want to suggest any <laughs> medications to, for you to try. But uh, they gave me medication uh, and it was prescribed by a doctor legally. And I was sitting home with it because it met a need. It actually met the need of my pain that I was in. I was in ex- like extraordinary pain. So I would take it whenever I felt it. And that was also another thing, another side effect that it was kind of a u- utopia feeling. Like everything that I was looking at and everything that I was experiencing, I loved. It, life was wonderful on this pill. And so I was like, man, this is, this is great. This is the first time I've ever experienced something like this. And so go through about a couple of weeks of being on this pill. And, and I noticed whenever I would take it, it, sometimes one pill wouldn't, I wouldn't feel that that buzz, if you know what I'm saying. And so I had to take two because my body started getting used to it. So I started taking two and then I started, you know, buzzing on that. And then it got to the point where I wasn't having any pain, physical pain, but also it was meeting a, an emotional pain of losing my father. And I started saying, you know what? I don't really need this anymore, but I'll tell you what, this really meets this need over here where I'm really depressed and I miss my dad. So I'm going to, I won't take two pills a day and it's going to, it's going to, satisfy me. Got to the point where two pills didn't work. Three pills didn't work. I started taking four pills at a time. And so at that time I was dating Lindy and she was on the phone with me. We were dating and she said, man, you're, you're talking funny. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you just, you don't, you're saying funny stuff. And she's like, are you on those pills? And I said, well, I just took four of them. She said, you took four of them? I was like, well, yeah, <laughs> it makes me feel good. And she said, are you in, okay, are you in any pain, like physical pain? And I I stubbed my toe and I was just like, yes, I am. And then she said, no, you're not. And she called me out. The Holy Spirit was working through my wife. She said, no, you're not in any pain. You're in emotional pain. You're using that as a crutch. And if you don't get rid of these pills, it will destroy your life. And she said, I want you, what I want you to do is flush them down the toilet. I was like, okay. And what, at that time, I didn't know you weren't supposed to flush this stuff down the toilet, but I, it was the only way I knew how to get rid of it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to flush all these pills that I was legally given. I'm going to flush them down the toilet so I do not get it. Because I saw myself getting addicted to these pills. And so as you see, the very place where I found comfort from pain became a prison right afterwards. And it was starting to affect my body. And I honestly, I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for the conviction, conviction of the Holy Spirit and actually Lindy speaking into my life of getting rid of those pills because I have an addictive personality. And so there's no telling if I didn't obey the Holy Spirit where I would be today. So I, I wanna turn this on you. Maybe you use words and anger as a defense mechanism so that you won't be abused in the areas where you feel most vulnerable. So maybe you use those words as, as, as those things that you depend on so that other people can't hurt you first. So if I hurt you before you hurt me, that's my defense mechanism so that you can't hurt me. And I've, I've come in contact with, with, with kids when I was youth pastor. There was these kids that would come in. They would start insulting these other youth. I'm like, hey, man, what are you doing? Like, why are you insulting? Nobody said anything to you. He says, man, he says, I've been bullied my whole life. And I'm thinking if I can get one on them, then they won't get me. 
And so like maybe, maybe it's a, a famine of affection that you have and you find it in broken relationships or relationships that end in abuse mentally or emotionally or sometimes even physically. So essentially everyone in this place has gone into survival mode. Um, so whatever makes things feel or seem better in the moment of pain, whether it be physical or emotional, that's how these Israelites got to Egypt in the first place. It was survival. So we've all in, in some part of our time of, of living, we've gone into survival mode that we'll grab anything that makes us feel normal, or anything that makes us feel good for that moment. <clears throat> and so some of us, we kind of judge Israel, the Israelites pretty harshly because you're looking like, man, why in the world would you crave Egypt? Why would you crave whips? Why would you crave being in chains? Like, I don't understand. So we got to think they want, they wanted Egypt back just like you want that website back, that habit back, that drink back, that boyfriend back, that girlfriend back that's been abusing you all these years. You want that, that things in your life that has slowly and surely started killing you emotionally, just draining you. So it's easy for us to kind of, you know, judge Israelites without putting ourselves in their shoes. Some of us, we have comfort friends, right? We got those friends that we're drawn to that keep us in slavery. They're comfortable because they've been there our whole lives and they're predictable. You know exactly what they're gonna say. You know exactly what they're gonna tell you to do because they've been there your whole life and it's comfortable. So, but when we meet friends that actually hold us accountable and challenge us to leave our old life behind, we push them away. Even though that could be the best thing that, that God is pro- providing for us, we push them away because we're not used to hearing that. So my next statement is just because it's comfortable doesn't mean it's safe, right? So some of us, we have comfort phrases that we kind of lean on and, and it's, our, it's our crutch. The reason I am this way is because my family's this way. I guess I'm destined to have cancer or I'm destined to have this anger issue. I'm destined to have this addiction because my mom or my dad or my family, grandpa, he had it. I guess, you know what? I, I can't shake it. Or you know what? That, that guy, he was from, he's from a rich family. He's got it all together, man. He was, he was born into a rich family. I'll never achieve what they achieved. Or I am this way because I was born this way. I guess it's in my DNA. So you, you, you leave no power to the Holy Spirit to change your life whenever you say, oh, it's just a part of me. Or this addiction or this thing has been so a part of my life for so many years, I can't see myself walking away from this thing. Whether it be a substance, whether it be a friend, whether it be a mentality, I can't see myself without it. So some of us, we, we hold on to those comfort phrases. So we... These comfort phrases have kept us in the chains of bondage because it's the lies we fed on our whole dysfunctional life, right? So what do we have an appetite for? So let's, again, let's look at the Israelites. You know, they've been in the wilderness for a year now and the only thing they've had is this manna. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. They've all, that, that's the only thing they've ever had. And I kind of can feel for them. If you can think about like, all right, you, you've seen those like tests on, uh, Facebook or social media, if you could have one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> would it be pizza? Would it be, you know, all these things like, oh, what's my favorite food? But imagine living a whole year, morning, lunch, 
evening on this manna, which is great. It's, it's, it's from heaven. It probably tasted amazing at first, but you gotta, you gotta feel for them. They don't have any variety. This is, this is it, okay? So Israelites were probably amazed at first whenever God started providing for them. And after a year of it, they got tired of it. And then my next statement is they lost their appetite for a miracle in their lives. The miracle of God providing for them supernaturally every morning of every day for a whole year, they got sick of it. They got tired of it. And so for some of us, we've lost our appetite for God working miracles in our lives because we don't include him on a daily basis and we don't thank him for whenever he does things in our lives on a daily basis. I mean, just this past Thursday, God saved my life. <laughs> I was just straight out, I was telling Lindy this Thursday, I was coming, I, was, I ride my motorcycle to, to work sometimes and I was on pool road and it was two lanes and I was right behind his van and the Holy Spirit, I could hear his voice. He said, get into the right lane. I said, oh, okay. I, I go into the right lane. And as soon as I did that, I saw underneath this van, five cement bags that came, uh, the, 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 the van went over and I was going about 50 miles an hour. And there's no telling, if I didn't change at that one instant, I would have hit those, those cement bags at 50 miles an hour and there's no telling what would have happened. And so you better believe I was praising God, having some worship time on my bike all the way to church because I was like, God, you were right there. You told me to do this. I obeyed you. you were, and I was just having a time with God on my bike, man. It was just awesome because I started recognizing that God saved my life. It wasn't anything to do with me. He said, and as soon as I did it, he saved my life. And so also like just this past uh, Friday, we went grocery shopping. We were sitting there watching a movie, me, Lindy and Avi, just sitting there getting ready to eat. And I just started, and the Holy Spirit just said, thank me for these groceries. And I, I looked at her, I just started crying. I said, God, I just thank you so much for these groceries that you've given to me. And Lord, that you filled my cupboard, you filled my, my freezer, you freezer, you filled my refrigerator with food. God, I thank you. And so when we start seeing God on a daily basis and including him in, guess what? We won't miss the opportunity. We won't lose our appetite for the miraculous in our lives. Amen? Amen? All right. Woo! So um, if I run back to Pharaoh, which is my old life, I'll never be truly full. I'll never be truly free. Amen? So if you want the fish of Egypt, you have to suffer the whips and the chains of slavery you had there too, right? It comes with a price. The enemy doesn't want to show you that. He wants to show you the buffet of all this fish and all this stuff and all the good stuff, but he doesn't want to show you the whips and chains that include being a part of your old life, right? Until you're in those shackles. So Jesus satisfies us in ways we are eternally full and eternally free. John six thirty five says, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. You guys see this? We're running through to the wrong things to fulfill us and to, to, to truly fill us up. So my next statement is your father's fridge is full. Amen. So let's go to Luke 15. You guys know the story of the prodigal son. All right, so I think all of us can kind of relate to this son in some way uh, in time of our lives. We've, we've craved and wasted our time, thoughts, energy, 
intellect, passions, and desires on really stupid things, right? How many all, raise your hand, you've done it. <laughs> uh, so this is exactly what the son did when he left his father's house. Um, he, he craved stupid things, and in having those things, it fed him at that moment, but it didn't fill him. So in Luke 15, 13, it says, not only after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Whew. Everybody's been at some point in that time where you're like, man, I just wasted my time. I wasted my resources on that person, that relationship, that thing. I shouldn't have done that. So he wasn't running from a famine. He was running from his father. So in this circumstance, he wasn't running out of survival. Okay. He probably got tired of his dad's rules and was like, you know what? I'm going to show you. I'm going to go make something of myself. And all this pride. He's like, I don't want to listen to you anymore. Even though you have everything that I really need. I'm going to run away from you. I'm going to rebel against you. And so I can understand running from a famine out of survival. I cannot understand why you're running from your father. And so some of us, we do that out of rebellion, out of arrogance. We're running from the source of what can truly fill us. And Luke 15, 40 says, after he had spent everything, there was a famine in that whole country and he began to be in need, right? This is exactly what happens My next point is you're spent on what feeds you but doesn't fill you. Eventually, you just come become spent with life, right? You you, you spend everything, all your time, all your resources on things that temporarily feed you, whether it be a news feed, (laughs) social media feed, Right? Everything that the enemy's tactics have a feed on them, right? Social media feed, news feed. But guess what? How many of you guys know, like, just because it feeds you doesn't mean it fills you, fills your soul? How many of you guys have gotten, gotten off of Facebook, seen an argument going back and forth? You're like, God, I just feel so full. Wow, God. Oh, God, those, that fish. Oh, that meat. All oh, that onions. All those garlic. All that. Oh, man, I feel so full right? No, you don't. It's, it it temporar- temporarily feeds you, but it doesn't make you feel full. Um, there, there is nothing in my old life worth giving up my freedom that I have in Jesus. And I get so emotional about this. The peace that I get from him the joy that I get from him, the companionship that I get from him, nothing in life compares to him and how he fills me and how he can fill you. Sorry, y'all, I just, Luke 15, 14, he says, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So it's so good that there was a famine in his heart because guess what? It brought him closer to his father in the end, right? So sometimes we, th- we focus on the things that we lack and we try to fill things, but then guess what? We're so thankful for the things that are f- a famine in our life because it brought us closer to Jesus. Luke 15, 15 says, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, which is a foreign country. He had no place being there in the first place. So he's, uh, who sent him to his fields of pigs. All right, so get this. He's in a foreign place. 
He has no business being there. So I want to say you have, you, you don't belong in this foreign land. You don't belong in the citizenship of the country of this world. You don't belong to whatever is trying to draw you away from the father. In Ecclesiastes 3, 11, this proves this. It says he has planted eternity in the human heart. Guess what? When you were born, God planted heaven and eternity on the inside of your heart. So when you're here on planet earth, you're an alien. You don't belong to this world ever. So this is exactly what the, the son did. He was in a foreign land. He had no place being there. And he's like, okay, I'll, 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 I'll get whatever feeds me. If it's pig slop, I'll eat it. So some of us, we've been doing that. We've been feeding on anything that fills us. And it's just, it's secondhand stuff. It's comfort food. It's stuff that doesn't truly satisfy us. And not, it's not good for us. So Luke 15, 16 says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he was willing to fill himself with the things that were meant for animals. Just, just to fill him up because he was hungry. I'm, I, know we, I know I've done that sometimes in my life. Um, and maybe that's you. Maybe you've been believing the lies of the enemy for years and years and you've been feeding on them. Lies that you, that you need to be getting rid of that God's been kind of at you to, 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 to leave behind, but it fills you for that five minutes of satisfaction. And then you're, leave, you're leaving worse off than you, than you came, okay? So Luke 15, 17, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He says, man, if I go home, even the servants have more food than I have right now. What the heck am I doing? And so some of us, God is waking us up. God is bringing us to our senses or he's brought us to our senses in our past and we're realizing, man, what was I doing? Why was I feasting on this mess? And so he realized that his father's fridge was completely full. Everybody say it with me. My father's fridge is full. I'm not gonna waste my life on pig slop anymore, okay? And we say goodbye to Egypt, goodbye to pigs. I have a father. He, he and he alone has the joy I need. He and he alone has the peace that I need. I've been looking at, I've, I've been looking for it in the wrong places all my life. And I'm coming home. <laughs> I'm coming home. Truth is an acquired taste when you've been feeding on lies your whole life. Amen? Amen. I remember the first time I had coffee, I thought, man, this tastes like cigarettes. This is horrible. I, <laughs> I know, it sounds weird. It smells like if you just smell Coffee, it smells like cigarettes. I don't know. It's just weird. Sometimes. Well, pastor has fruity, fruity coffee. It smells like blueberries. So, yeah. Pastor's a connoisseur of coffee. But first time I had coffee, I got married, and I had never had coffee in the morning until Lindy. I got married to Lindy, and she started fixing this stuff every morning. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. You know? So, I, you know, of course, I had this much creamer and, like, this much coffee at first, <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh, this is disgusting. And then I was like, wow, life is great. I feel I could run. Like I, I got all this energy and I was like, this is amazing. But see, truth at first, coffee at first is an acquired taste. Now I drink black coffee without any cream, without any sugar. I just, I like it because guess what? I've accustomed my taste to coffee. And so sometimes we need 
Truth has been so foreign to us our entire lives that we need to start feeding on it, whether it be through the word of God, whether it be listening to, the, to sermons, listening to the voice of God, because it's been so foreign to us. We need to acquire our taste of truth. Amen? Amen. All right, my last point. We get ready to go. Identify and eliminate the rabble. The key to everything in this teaching is around this, this verse right here. Numbers eleven four. it says, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had the meat. So cra- the craving for meat, which is their old lifestyle, all started with the rabble. You guys know what the rabble is? You're like, man, what is a rabble? I've never, I, I was like, I, I looked at this verse and I had no idea what it was. And I looked it up. It was actually the rabble were Egyptians that left with them whenever they left to go into the wilderness. Deg's commentary says, is a mixture of Egyptians who had married Israelites along with the Kenites. In Exodus 12, 37, it says, the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth. <laughs> I mispronounced it first service and it sounded really, really bad. <laughs> Just use your imagination. There were about 600 thousand men of on foot besides women and children many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock both flocks and herds so listen they were with them but they weren't of them so when you left Egypt which is your old lifestyle not all of Egypt left you right so you're bringing you're a whole new creation in Christ second Corinthians 5:17 says that you're a whole new creation in Christ but Don't be surprised when some of those old cravings from your old lifestyle try to creep into that new life. That's called the rabble. That's the Egyptians. That's that other lifestyle that you're trying to bring in or they're trying to to come in. And I'm not talking about people, whether it be people that you're bringing into your new life that you may need to cut off, or maybe it's habits, maybe it's thought patterns, maybe it's uh, ways of thinking, maybe it's perspectives that you need to leave behind. All right? So, Are you willing to let God remove the rabble, the old that feels good and draws you back to the old way of thinking? You know, it's a process. Sometimes it happens like one word from God and it completely heals you, but sometimes it's a process. It's a process and sometimes it takes years and that's okay. God's patient, okay? So the menu in Egypt was so familiar because it was so ingrained in them for over 400 years, but now they have manna. The, what is, it, manna literally means, what is it? Because it was so foreign. They had no idea what this thing was, but it tasted so good because it came from heaven. Okay? So this is exactly where God wants us. Just because it's uncertain doesn't mean that it's unsafe. Right? So the Israelites, God, God sent them exactly what they wanted. So much quail. He said, all right, you want quail? I'm going to send you some quail. Numbers eleven twenty says that basically... They had so much quail and they started ingesting it and it started pouring out their noses. That's how much God's like, you want quail? I'll send you quail. Enjoy it. <laughs> it's, Dag's Bible says it was 20 billion, 160 million quails. That's $20 billion worth of quail at $1, at $1 uh, each. That's a lot of quail. So I want to I want to also talk about Numbers eleven thirty four. It says therefore the place was named Kibroth Hatava, which actually means graves of lust. So eventually, you guys like I'm not going into, but they started dying because they were eating the meat. If you look in the story, they started eating because they started craving the old meat. So 
Pharaoh's food never will fill you. It will kill you. If you're craving that old lifestyle, it may seem good. It will eventually take your life or suck everything dry around you to where you feel like you want to die. We can have the, we're living in a day and time where we're going to choose either a funeral or a feast. We can have the funeral of the rabble in our lives, the things that so easily beset us so that we can feast on what the father has for us. Amen. So there's no, there's no need for you to starve what your father has plenty of. Say our father's fridge is full. Why am I going to the rest of the world to, to fulfill something that only my father can fulfill? So uh, he has everything you'll ever need. What we have to give him is the substitutes we put in place before him. So let's read this, this last verse in a different way. Hebrews 12, one says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight. And I would put in there every rabble that slows us down, especially sin, the rabble that so easily trips us up. It's that old lifestyle. It's those Egyptians that try to get into our new life. It's that old way of thinking that keeps us enslaved and that old mindset. Jesus is saying, hey, I want that. I want you to be free. I want those shackles to be off of your your hands. I want your mind to be free so that you can be everything that I've created you to be.